0: So you had two unnecessary surgeries for illnesses you did not have?
1: Uh, Correct. Errors in the medical record, it looked like I had colorectal uh, history that I didn't have. You don't all of a sudden just develop some kind of colorectal dysfunction overnight. Those are things that take a long time to to develop. And because of the medical records being aired and, and faulty, when I tried to tell them that this was the case, They thought that I was trying to put one over on them. And and so their approach was that, um, we're not gonna let you add your personal injury case with your chronic history. Um, And that was exactly what they had said to me.
0: Medical error is purported to be the third leading cause of death in the US, killing a quarter of a million Americans annually. 23% of Europeans have been affected by medical error. Bad science embeds M.E. as medical harm globally, making millions missing. But less than 10% of medical errors are reported, because medical error is the secret many healthcare systems and governments work hard to hide. Wrong medication, wrong dose, amputate the wrong limb. I am Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews and I talk with patients and families, physicians and advocates, about medical error. They share secrets, stories, and most importantly, solutions. Medical Error Interviews is brought to you by my online counseling service, RemediesCounseling.com, a safe space for people affected by medical error, chronic illnesses, and other life matters. A note of caution. Some may be distressed or triggered by the medical experiences of guests. Hello, humanity. I'm Scott Simpson, host of Medical Error Interviews. If you had any doubt the medical system, in collusion with the legal, political, and insurance systems, were corrupt, those doubts will be waylaid when you hear Beau Tiffany's experiences with medical error. Bo has had to endure and battle biased systems once he slipped and fell hard down a wet stair steps, causing him multiple injuries. But it was a wrong diagnosis that somehow got into Bo's electronic health records that led to two surgeries for illnesses he did not have. These needless surgeries have permanently injured Bo's body and greatly impacted his quality of life physically, emotionally, and socially. But as you'll hear, Bo is also making meaning out of his traumatic experiences with the medical, political, and legal systems. Systems that at times collude to deny appropriate health care and deny even a semblance of justice to medically harmed patients. Part of Bo's meaning-making is being the creator and host of the Digital Voices podcast. A space for people to share their experiences of and responses to medical error. In my interview with Bo, societal systems began when he was put into the foster child system as a toddler, a system that would abruptly abandon him and leave him homeless as a teenager. But Bo was a voracious reader and had goals of seeing the places and things he had read about. And that motivation took him from living under a bridge to college and world travel and entrepreneurship. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medicalerrorinterviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for your own encounters with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, then you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remedies.com. Counseling.com. Now, here's my interview with Bo Tiffany, and a word of caution as always that some folks may be triggered by Bo's experiences with the healthcare system. Awesome. Thanks, Bo. So, uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like?
1: I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, my childhood was, uh, it was a journey, it was a little rough. I grew up in foster care. Uh, from three until I was 17. Uh, so, so I grew up on farms, mostly around Madison.
0: Uh, what kind of farms? I grew up in a farm too.
1: Uh, when I interviewed you, it was one of the things I smiled about. Um, so I lived on cattle farms and also milk cow farms. Uh, so I worked parlors with like 350 cow. Um, and I did that going back, uh, when I went into college, during the summers, I worked on a ram farm and on a milk farm,
0: uh, so I, I fell back on, on those things. I always get a good work ethic growing up on a farm. Absolutely.
1: And uh, thicker skin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, When we had a wee bit of a chat before I hit recording, you were saying that when you left the foster system, immediately you were homeless because the system isn't set up to help folks transition out of the system. And that sounds not like a medical error, but it's definitely a systemic error.
1: Correct. Um, So for foster children, at least here in, in Wisconsin, and I think it's throughout the United States, You know, you're at the mercy of availability of foster parents. Um, Not all foster parents are are lifelongers. And so they might only be in in foster care uh, as a caregiver for a few years. If you're a child and you're especially 3 until 18, uh, it's very rare that you'll find a family that will keep you that whole time. And so what ends up happening to the child is they end up going to the availabilities. um, And sometimes they run out so that it's a temporary group home or something like that while they find more placement but it's uh, it's a challenge for the county uh, in terms of uh, staffing availability for the number of children that need to be provided for um uh, one thing that they don't set them up for is uh, success outside of, of foster care you would think that you know there would be some kind of or budget that at least would get you an apartment as you know your first apartment or at least a little money or something if you hadn't saved that up in my particular case i was emancipated when i was 17 and i got emancipated at the courthouse in madison and immediately left that courtroom and i was homeless uh and so in my particular situation um it was difficult because I didn't have, uh, I grew up on a farm, so I didn't have like, a ton of friends and moved so many different places, I didn't have that, you know, niche of, of friends or family. Um, and so in my case, I ended up living underneath the bridge for a couple couple months and then I uh, made some friends where I was able to couch surf and finally got my feet underneath me. Um, one of the things that I've done is actually interview my own foster brothers and, and in their own stories. Doing the podcast kind of as projects. Um, you know, foster care is a project, medical malpractice is a project. But you also have to have some of those uh, projects that uplift you and make you smile. And so I
0: try to get that in there too. Wow. So you've already had to overcome some challenges uh, as a child and as a teen. Uh, but you managed to get back to college. And you also mentioned that you did a lot of traveling.
1: So as a child on a farm, I read all the time, and uh, I was fortunate at one of the foster homes I had, we had a, a collection of national geographics, and it was every single episode going back to like the late 1800s. And so I was able to read all these, and uh, it started out with descriptive text, and then it was black and white pictures, and color pictures, and colors pictures didn't happen till King Tut's, uh, tomb discovery and the treasures that were found and um, as a child reading all of these things we didn't have a TV that I had access to or a radio and so this was my outlet for creativity or uh, escape and so I read literally thousands of books uh, in addition to those magazines and as an adult I wanted to tangibly connect with the things that I read about. So a lot of Egyptian things and a lot of uh, ancient history. And so as, as an adult, i traveled to all these places so that I could tangibly touch and connect with the history that I read. About.
0: And then tell us how your life intersected with the medical system and medical error. Yeah.
1: So I, uh, went to st thomas in 2016 i had bought it i got and i was starting a wreck diving charter on lake michigan Uh, we have a ton of uh, shipwrecks that are laying on the bottom that are still in great shape because of the water's temperature Mm -hmm. and you just need a dry suit to get to them Uh, and so the tourism market in my area in Mm is starting to cater to scuba divers just for that uh, that niche uh, and so you can literally dive on uh, schooners that were sunk in 1800s that look like they might have went down 20 years ago. And, uh, it's a pretty amazing experience. So I went to St. Thomas, got my master diver certification, bought a 32 foot yacht, um, you know, to bring the, the divers out to the wreck sites. When I finished my schooling for diving, I going to go on my first rec dive uh, down in St. Thomas, actually, and I ended up having an accident on these stairs at a resort. The stairs, due to a site inspection, I know the the circumstances, they were sloped forward, rounded nose, no traction, gloss seal, no aggregate. Long and short, it was outside, and the landscape followed the water down the stairs, so when I Started down these stairs, I guess they're perpetually wet. My foot slipped forward, I fell back, and then I rode with the end plates of my spine, about 12 stairs, and uh, ended up with a ton of injuries. The issue with St. Thomas is that they don't have really the medical hospital structure that we do here in the U.S. Uh, I was told it's very similar to a third world country. It's a very small island. Uh, They didn't have a spinal specialist on staff. Um, You know, the people that work there, there, they're typically on some program as a doctor uh, filling in and and they shuffle through these doctors to get people from the mainland to actually operate this place. Long and short, I ended up having to get, uh, they wanted to medevac me uh, back to the U.S. And unfortunately, I ended up having to take commercial. Uh, But when I got back to the U.S., I went straight to the, the emergency room and proceeded to get care. That's where things became very difficult and really domino affected to create even further injury other than just my accident. Uh, Plain and simple, what had happened is uh, we have a soft, well, so we have EHRs, they're Electronic Healthcare Record Systems, and we don't have a standardized format. One of these, there's over 7,000 here in the US, different manufacturers of EHRs. One of the biggest issues that come along with this is interoperability, meaning that when your record transfers from hospital Y to to hospital Z, whether your insurance changed or you're moved or something along those lines, when that record transfers from one system to another, if it doesn't play along with one another, then you might be familiar with many of the updates that you had to do on your own software that things happen, you know, and and especially with 7,000 different providers and no one's using like a standardized code. So in my particular situation, um, I had an insurance change. So my insurance change through the state um, as a result of Obamacare, which I can't think Mr. Obama enough for, because it was the first time in my life that I had literally had health insurance um, that I could use rather than just having to go without. Um, and, and so that was really a nice thing. In 2014 is when my insurance switched, and that was also the same year that uh, I had been diagnosed with diverticulitis, which is really a minor thing of the colon some infected pockets or whatnot. When I had my accident, I had spinal injuries. And one of the things that were affected primarily uh, was my pelvic floor. Uh, so the list of injuries that I have is really substantial. Like I had pulmonary contusion, I enlarged my heart, four of my vertebrates, my thoracic, rotated my thoracic vertebrates, compression fractures, just a slew of things. Um, And I was immediately having issues going to the bathroom. Uh, Pain, things weren't moving through. Uh, Ended up seeing the doctor, obviously, after the ER to follow up because they only treat you uh, for, like, your immediately life-threatening things. So they diagnosed, like, the compression fractures and all those main things that you would normally do. But a lot of my issues were a result of some nerve branch damage to the pundellum nerve along with uh, the attachment of the pelvic floor muscles to the sit bone on the pelvis. The errors when my record went from one system or one hospital to this new hospital had created errors on the medical record. It wasn't in the body of the medical record that the errors were showing. The EHR software Populates the problem list and overview of your medical record on your doctor's office computer. It acts as a synapse to represent your sometimes lengthy medical record. Instead of having to physically go through it, it pulls basically the body out and creates an index, which is called the problem list and overview here in the states, that then represent what your medical history is. In my particular situation, I had four colonoscopies with normal findings and the result looking or trying to diagnose the diverticulitis. Those were changed into hemorrhaging from the anus surgeries. Don't know how, it's very complicated. (laughs) You know, it's that corrupt software system issue. I don't wanna necessarily put the provider for that out there just because I don't want to get in trouble from that aspect, but there's a lot. The hospitals uh, yanked the EHR because they realized that this was happening. They now have replaced it, somewhat. with a generic EHR. Some have spent the money and got another EHR custom made for them. Mind you that these systems are really expensive because it ties into the billing, it ties into your medical record. Um, There's HIPAA compliance, which we'll get into in a second, but they're complicated and there's a lot that rides on them being correct and right. And when you have a system that just spontaneously corrupts the body of the medical record so that the problem with some overview don't represent the body of the medical record. In my particular case, I was, I got attacked two ways. Um, One is I was starting to battle for my care because they were saying that my injuries were chronic in nature and that they weren't going to let me use my chronic injuries to impact or to pad my personal injury case. I immediately said, what the hell are you talking about? And I talked to my doctor who then referred me back to the surgeons. Surgeon said, well, we've gone through your medical record and, and we know it. And we know that you have several of these uh, surgeries and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know what they were talking about because the corruption wasn't happening on uh, my patient records, which are not designated record sets, by the way. There's a difference between your patient records and then your medical records that you would get from the hospital. That became important uh, because my legal team for my personal injury case were using my patient records. Well, patient records, I found out, are not uh, designated record sets. They're not following HIPAA compliance. They don't have to be complete. Oftentimes they're not updated. In my particular case, my hospital hadn't been updating my patient record file. They'd only been updating my HIPAA uh, electronic medical record, which is in the mainframe of their computer. So when you're accessing your own medical record, which you might be familiar with, um, typically we use an app or we log in and we can see our medical record. well that's a patient medical record. For attorneys, they actually have to spend about buck 50 a page or whatever the hospital is charging and theirs is done a certified medical record which would include like the doctor's notes in addition to just the stuff that you're seeing on your patient record. Um, also it's certified to be correct and complete. And, and so that's also uh, another thing that was failed in my particular circumstance. My patient records were used um, rather than my medical records. So I currently am dealing with, from the personal injury case, uh, it was misrepresented. found out that no one had actually gotten the correct medical records or these correct designated records that you have to pay for. Um, the records that they did get were faulty because it wasn't populating the system which then created uh, issues with attorney-client relationships because what they were seeing wasn't matching or what it what they were seeing wasn't matching what i was telling them was happening attorneys are cheap they don't want to spend about 50 or two two dollars or whatever it is per page for a medical record especially if you have a medical record that's like seven or eight thousand pages Gets to be really expensive, so you know it, it. It was a domino effect that really impacted everything from my care to my personal injury case. Now I'm disability. Um, I get eight forty a month in the United States to live off of, which is really a joke because it's it's impossible. And the personal injury was misrepresented and medical malpractice as a result of the EHR corruption and by the way I had two surgeries you know when they were giving me this care they saw this chronic history they thought well I they thought I had conditions colorectally that I didn't have so instead of trying to proactively treat me they immediately recommended surgery and they recommended a lateral sphincterotomy along with the PPH which is uh complete removal of your your internal hemorrhoids along with your internal anal cushion. As a result, that left a defect in both the inner and outer anus muscle for me. And then I'm devoid of any internal hemorrhoids or anal cushion. And then I also have a hyperspastic pelvic floor, which all three of those things create a very long list of colorectal issues that I have. That I have to deal with on a daily basis which are very frustrating that also plays into the same stuff that that goes along with um, sexual function so that that was all tragic and then
0: Sorry, just so I'm clear clear vote so you had two unnecessary surgeries for illnesses you did not have
1: uh, correct uh, so I, I ended up damaging the muscles at the sit bone and that pundellum nerve. Those are misdiagnosed because of the errors in the medical record, it looked like I had colorectal history that I didn't have. You don't all of a sudden just develop some kind of colorectal dysfunction overnight. Those are things that take a long time to, to develop. And because those medical errors were in there representing four surgeries for colorectal related issues, They thought that I just was having some extreme colorectal disease, which I didn't have. And because of the medical records being aired and and faulty, when I tried to tell them that this was the case, they thought that I was trying to put one over on them. And and so their approach was that um, we're not going to let you have your personal injury case with your chronic history or your chronic colorectal issues. Um, and that was exactly what they had said to me.
0: So this these are your lawyers saying we can't include... These. No,
1: these are my doctors. <laughs> so the treating doctors were thinking that I was trying to make my injuries bigger than they were. And they're the ones that said, we're not going to let you use your chronic history to patch a personal injury case. Because they knew that I had a personal injury case because... When you're in a PI case, your attorneys tell you to make your doctors aware that you have a personal injury case so that they document things accordingly and as, as thoroughly as possible. And that's what I did. And they thought that I was trying to, to pull a fast one. It took a year and a half for them to realize that this had happened. Um, and it actually took me uh, seeking, because these were corrupted from an outside hospital, I had to go back to that original hospital to get them to correct it, because an outside hospital can't correct another hospital's records. So in my case, I ended up having, I I couldn't get care, they weren't treating me, I was fighting for care, they weren't treating me, they didn't do energy, and they just had made this assumption of what I was doing, which was completely off base, which then completely caused disservice to me, because what they were seeing was only created by the errors from the EHR. Nothing to do with my actual medical record gave them credence to act the way that they did. It was just coincidental that the errors that were on my medical record were colorectal related, which is what a lot of my injuries were caused. You know, a lot of my injuries were caused my pelvic floor and colorectal issues within that area. So they just made a bad call, and they didn't listen to me. And I tried talking to my doctor, uh, and I tried getting these guys to talk to one another. Ten months into this thing, I ended up having to switch back to the original hospital that the errors are created at because of just what I said. Uh, You know, the outside hospital or that new hospital couldn't correct those records. So I went back, and um, lo and behold, you know, I we started to figure this out. And it didn't happen right away. There was a very slow movement because they didn't understand. Doctors aren't as familiar. I mean, I'm more familiar now than I think a lot of doctors are with medical records and then patient records and how these differ, uh, how the systems interplay, how they don't interplay. There's a lot of misconceptions and there's a lot of things that the doctors don't understand. You know, first of all is, patient records are not the same as medical records. Um, patient records are not guaranteed, guaranteed to be correct. They don't have to be correct. It's a at-will program that the hospital uses. If they're aired, it's not a big deal, you know, because they're not held accountable for that because it's your patient records. So if you ever have, for their listeners or whatever, Anybody that's getting their medical records, make sure that you get the designated medical records, especially if you have a lawsuit. Uh, In my case, that really bit me in the butt uh, because I had no idea as a patient. And I also was knocked out for over 20 minutes. I had a brain injury, I guess a mild to moderate TBI. And uh, I think I'm a lot better now, but I still think I'm 100%, you know? Um, I think that comes out every once in a while it's nice being on the other side of the mic because I can shut up rather than talk. Where I think sometimes when people listen to me drone on the way that I do, you can catch maybe sometimes that I'm just not, you can tell I was injured. So it just, it, it, it's a frustrating thing for me because I used to be very, um, I was able to communicate a lot better and I was always told that I was smart my whole life. I, I guess I'm still smart, but I feel, I feel kind of dumb sometimes.
0: <laughs> well, I hadn't noticed any cognitive impairment at all. Uh, I can't help but wonder th- your lawyers, even though they didn't want to spend money on the medical record for getting the copies, <clears throat> that is outrageous price per page, uh, it seems that they should have known that there can be huge differences between the medical and the patient record and that it's vital yes. to have the medical record. So some of this is uh,
1: confidential in terms of, I can't talk about certain agencies and things like that because you know it's following at the seal. But what I can tell you is that there's been people that have validated what I said. There's They're not gonna be hopefully injuring anybody else in the future. I guess I can say that without getting in trouble and, and leave it at that. The only unfortunate part is the USVI, which is where this happened, as there, it's a U.S. territory, but it has its own set of rules and governings that allow that little corner of the world. You know, the USVI has 100,000 people that live in it all together across three three islands, I think.
0: And for folks who aren't familiar with that acronym, USVI?
1: Uh, you, yeah, it's the United States Virgin Islands. Uh, so it's one of the islands that were taken over or that we bought in World War One or Two uh, to have a strategic defense for our country, so nobody could just you know set up shop there and, and then invade us easily. The Virgin Islands uh, were broken to uh, U.S. territories and also British territories because there's also the British Virgin Islands. One thing I will say about this area there's a lot of corruption as a result of having this very small pocket so you have a hundred thousand people but they have their own superior court and then they also have their own district court corruption is really rampant there uh, where I would never see the things that I've experienced here in the states that I've
0: experienced there Um, in their legal system
1: Yeah, Um, and one of the things that's very frustrating, too, is that the attorneys that you're able to hire have to come from the island or be, uh, you know, uh, licensed to work there. The number of people that handle uh, personal injuries or legal malpractice or the things that I've had to experience, very small. In my particular case, some of these people that were found guilty of malpractice are where he used to be uh, employed by my my current attorney. And so not everybody's being sued. And uh, that's that's a real kicker too. And I'm trying to find help locally for that, and there's nothing, you know? You know, that that's the biggest eye-opening thing. It's been a
0: chaos
1: that I've had to go through and trying to make sense of it and trying to tell it in a way that is seamless or, you know, it's really difficult um, because I hadn't found one thing through this whole thing that has has really stood up and been helpful. Uh, It's been a lot of limiting liability. For instance, when the hospitals found the errors and they started to do these corrections and then there ended up being a total of 40 corrections to my record, instead of being proactive, they sent me to their attorney. And then the attorney sent me to medical mediation, which is part of our superior court in Wisconsin. And uh, they have a at-will program where you can get sent there and they're supposed to mediate with you. You're supposed to say, well, this is what happened. And, and this is what it caused me in terms of injury. And, and they're supposed to work, work it out with you, talk to you. And uh, in my case, They didn't talk to me at all. They sent me there and they didn't do anything. And what they did is they waited for the timeline and the statute of limitation to expire because that's the head of the mediation panel said, you know, this is what they're doing. They're waiting for this to expire because it's three years from the time of the accident uh, or three years from the time of the injuries that it caused. And in this case, I had two unneeded surgeries um, and how it, effect affected I care. That was, you know, just three years from that dated accident. So I ended up in the situation where all of a sudden you're sending me, I'm thinking you're going to work something out with me, you know, you, you tell me that you understand what happened and you fix these things in your medical record system. You tell me what happened, you know, it should be okay now. Right. Well then you decide that you're not going to meet with or meet with me or that you just waste the remaining time of the statute of limitations uh, because you know that three years from the act or three years is coming up. And so that's, that's what you're doing. So you never talk to me. And then the head of the guy or the head of the mediation department writes a letter to all the parties and they just say, Oh, we're not going to mediate with them, you know, and close it, you know, So they never mediated with me and never never validated or never took responsibility, acted like they didn't do anything wrong. And it was just shoved underneath the rug. The kicker of it all is I have copies of my medical records, the actual medical records. The hospital that used the corrupted medical records to then perform the two surgeries and edited 303 pages out of 400. So there's an edit header that's put on as a safeguard for the software EHRs. So if if someone goes in and tries to be fraudulent, it sticks a timestamp on the top of the page that tells you this doctor went at this particular time and an edit has been made. It doesn't necessarily highlight the edit it allows you to know that someone went in into an edit field and made an addendum or made an edit to your medical record. It's a safeguard. So in 303 pages, which aren't all one after another, not, they're not consecutive, I have this edit header and then on 101 interactions, I have no data file. Well, I was able to talk to the administrator for the electronic healthcare record system for the hospital and they said, Bo, they're not sharing everything with you. I'm seeing HIPAA violations. They're not giving you your entire record. I see things that are deleted. This is definitely an edit header, Bo. You need to talk to an attorney. Start calling around. I thought, first of all, I thought, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> Top of everything else. Second thing I thought was this will probably at least be easier to deal with than the U.S. Virgin Islands stuff because America is all about being just. America is all about um, hopefully protecting us in certain ways, right? So then I I literally started calling around, and no one was interested in a mental criminal practice case. Didn't give me reasons right off the bat until I started to dig. And then I was hearing about single-person's law, and I was hearing about the I'm sorry law and other things that have been instituted into legislature and why attorneys aren't taking medical malpractice any longer. About how the win to loss rate for a med mail that goes to trial is 92%. And I've heard figures from like 87 to 92. But long and short, uh, no attorneys in Wisconsin, and for that matter, most of the rest of the United States are taking medical malpractice cases. And it has to do with certain legislation that's been put in. Uh, so there's an I'm sorry law, if a doctor injures or causes you harm, or there's an error. And they say, you know what, oh, I'm sorry about that. You can't sue them. I would assume an apology would just be something that is, you know, that is that's a granted thing, like, hey, cut off the wrong arm really sorry about that (laughs) you know what I mean so
0: yeah I'm um, trying to pick up my jaw off the floor like just because they utter those three words that saves them from medical malpractice (coughs) whoa okay so that's the Um, I'm sorry law what was the other one you mentioned single person
1: yeah so there's a single person law uh if you are let's say you're you're over 18, uh, but you don't have any kids and you're not married. And let's say uh, you went into the hospital for, oh geez, uh, something really simple, staph infection in your finger. And they ended up screwing up, they put you under and caused medical error in some way. I didn't really lay that out too well, but you get what I'm saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The And they end up killing you. you know? So you go in there for, I have, one, one of my guests was, I'll, I'll tell his story. So one of my guests had a sister that went in for a normal cosmetic surgery routine. She was supposed to be given a local but not put under. They ended up sedating her and gave her 10 times the amount of anesthesia that her body would handle. And it killed her. Then they tried to cover it up. And it was an amazing thing. Uh, you'll have to listen to that. That's the Way to Airs episode was on 2020 and and just the things that we go through as a result of these medical error issues and because there's not consequence to it is it's unbelievable so anyways uh the single person if you are you know have a, a dependent and you're not married and someone kills you by accident not even your mom and dad can sue the hospital for killing you so You have to literally have kids that are minors, or you have to be married. And I think you actually have to be married and have kids with minors. Or I think it's one or the other. Either way, those are the conditions. Uh, And if you fall outside of those conditions, you'll say you you were killed by an accident. If you don't have children and you're not married, you, you can't sue and your family can't sue. You know there's there's three things there's another one too and I'm fully it. steve burrows is also another one of my guests he's a hollywood director his mother was killed by the same hospital that screwed up on me and i reached out to him after seeing his documentary it's called bleed out it's on hbo highly recommended that he talks about her journey and his issue or and how his experiences were within medical malpractice field and the reasons that victims are not able to find recourse or or, or get any kind of help through it. The ironic thing is, in Wisconsin, we have what's called the Injured Patients Compensation Fund, and it's a $1.4 billion fund. Now, mind you, in 2009, it was $200 million dollars. This fund is supposed to pay out for injured patients due to medical error, right? Instead, that fund is only used typically, there's a few payouts, I don't even know how, they must have really screwed up to be paying out anyone these days, or he must come from a really good family or something. It's grown to $1.4 billion. And they use that money to Pay for the hospital's defense team. So they have an unlimited pool of money to pay their attorneys with. It doesn't come out of their pockets. They pay into this fund, you know. The patients, the victims, have to come up with money for their
0: own attorneys. And wait a minute, that just can't be right. I guess. So there's an injured patient fund, Correct. and very few injured patients receive any money from that fund, but hospitals get access to that fund to hire lawyers to protect them from the patients they injured. Absolutely. Is this a just a Wisconsin thing, or is this in other states as well?
1: I believe it's in other states as well. I just know Wisconsin because I live underneath house of Wisconsin you know the, the ironic thing is is that I and I'm not trying to throw her underneath the bus but I, I reached out to our state representative and I won't even put her name into it because I don't want to I, I don't want to give her back cross but she said to me she's like oh she's like I know these things are going on this is horrible horrible and I'm trying to make that change This is like a year ago almost to the day and you know, I would met with her, uh, you know, I had driven like an hour away uh, to meet her. And then I brought my, my aired medical records and I brought the, the uh, doctored stuff where you could see the addendums and the things that were deleted, all this stuff. I thought, well, geez, you know, I'm going to be able to finally get some help and nothing. But she did say, how would you like to join my team? Like, like, I'd like you to be on my team, Bo. you know?
0: What, what team? What does she want you to do?
1: Well, I, I thought that she was working on medical reform. And unfortunately, a year's gone by, and nothing, you know? Didn't get me hooked up with anybody to talk to. There's no agencies to talk to. So for me, the way that I'm starting to view this, and, and I, I've been very reserved about saying this but i feel like there's a certain amount of i don't know if pacify is a good word when when someone can come and meet with you and say oh yes you know this is horrible i'm trying to fix this and this is going to be uh you know something that we're going to do together and you know i want you to be on my team and then a year goes by and nothing's been done, and you're still trying to figure out how to handle your own situation um, without any help. And like, that's the end of the road. Like, I talked to our senators, I talked to our congressmen. Like, there's no one else to talk to, right? For my particular situation, the medical edits were what were considered a HIPAA violation. HIPAA is the United States has a Health Information Privacy and Protection Act. But as a private citizen, you can't sue for HIPAA violations. So I have these medical records that have been doctored. I can prove that they were doctored, right? The doctor went into a visit from 2015 and then edited, edited, he opened up an edit field within that visit date, but then edited records from 2016 and 17. And that's how it really came to light because You can't have an edit date pre-existing the report that you're editing because it wouldn't have existed yet. So we were able to prove that he went back maliciously into 2015 and edited hundreds of records from 2016 and 17, right? So that what he had done and what they had done because of the errors in the medical record covered his tracks. Yeah. And I have all the proof for that But there's no one that, there's no one that can help me or there's no one that's willing to or the system's set up in such a way that you can't get recourse, you know?
0: So HIPAA is set up so that a private citizen can't sue using HIPAA. So who can, who's supposed to be doing this on your behalf then?
1: That's a great question. The only agency that I have found is supposedly the civil rights agency, right? Uh, And there's also like a professional, professional licensing, but they really didn't do their job because I had had written things and no one ever contacted me. It was just one of those things where you're left in limbo, you know, reminds me of how the attorneys are structured. So let's say an attorney, uh, which is what happened in my case, stole my trust or not the trust, but the, um, stole the trust money for the settlement, right? Completely stole it.
0: Oh, sorry, um, run that button. So there was settlement money?
1: Oh, so for the personal injury, there was some settlement money. Even though it was misrepresented, they had settled for much less than it should have. And then the attorney stole that. So that's that's why they've been disbarred and all this other stuff. Okay. <laughs> it's been an amazing thing. My, my point is, is that there's no recourse for the private citizen anymore. At least not that I have found. HIPAA, It clearly says, if you look it up, that private citizens can't sue for HIPAA violations, period. Editing and fraud also are HIPAA violation, evidently, which you can't sue for. I found that to be mind-blowing because, you know, if, if you're doctoring my medical records and I can prove it, that's illegal to the point of, like, criminal. But there's nothing I can do about it. How does that work? You know, and trust me, uh, there's not a stone that I have not turned over in trying to get justice for this. I would not have signed up for this tour of duty <laughs> to save my life. You know what I mean? This has been uh, more than than I think most people would know how to deal with, and I'm fortunate to a certain extent because I'm I have. S- some skills, I, I, was, I have an IT background, I understood some of what I was seeing. Mind you, I still had a brain injury, you know, and I'm much better now than I was right after my accident. You probably wouldn't recognize me. Most people are like, my God, you're so much, you know, it came a long way. That's, that's the nature of a brain injury, you know? All this other stuff has been just hell and then trying to recover and then fighting for your own care and then being further injured, and then you start going down a rabbit hole that that um, I wasn't prepared for. The delusion that I grew up with is different than the reality of it. And you know, in America, you know, we always talk about justice and freedom and rights and things like that. But I feel like a lot of it is smokescreen. You know, uh, most of our rights have been taken away in some form or, or whittled down to nothing. And uh, this medical healthcare racket that we have going on now between the drug industries and big farm, along with the the hospital organizations that are doing the lobbying and such uh, patient rights has gone to the side, you know, used to be that that was a forefront. I, I always remember hearing about patient rights, this and patient rights, that boy, I'll tell you, I have not found any, any justice so far with what I've, presented to you at least it's a lot to for for a victim to have to accept you know i'm I'm four years four and a half years a little bit more than that past my accident time and i'm still seeing specialists trying to get my colorectal stuff under control because it's a quality of life thing and it just it's hard across the board for the other Gripe that I'll make, uh, just because it ties into this too, is I ended up after a couple of years I finally applied for disability. I didn't apply right away. I, it was the last thing I wanted to try to get on. But when I was approved, it was a set of hurdles. First of all, that I had to jump through in order to get. I got approved, but then they didn't backdate me far enough, and so there was several hurdles that I had to go through. And those are designed to intentionally be there. Uh, it's just a the way the system works, you know, but at the end of the day, when I finally got approved, I have worked my whole adult life. And my SSDI for disability is only 840 a month. My rent alone, 600 bucks. And that's cheap, you know, for Wisconsin. Like I live in one of the cheapest states. I moved out of Wisconsin, or I moved out to Madison just for the fact that cost of living in Madison is grown ridiculously from when I was a kid. You know, you can easily spend uh, in excess of $1,500 or $1,200 a month for rent. Um, in Wisconsin, that's that's expensive. That's nearing what you're getting on a coastline. You know, uh, $2,000 seems to be on average what the price of living for like an apartment or whatnot it would be in a, a big city like Chicago or LA or something like that. You know what Uh, But in a little small town, when you're starting to see rents climb up to these really high numbers, it it just forces a lot of us to make choices that we don't have to make. You know, I have to pay rent so I can't get little Timmy those new shoes or provide for this or that. And, And I'm fortunate that I don't have kids or dependents because I can't imagine. I mean, I was engaged with a family when I had my accident. And, and so that's, this action lost that too, because it was way too much for everyone. And I'm fortunate because in recent days, uh, my ex ended up having a heart attack and, and she's only 36. So we've started opening up that line of communication, but You know, I I miss my kids, you know, um, but had I had to support them through all of this, I I don't know how that would have been possible. And they're my stepchildren, they're not my biological. So, you know, it's different. Um, Disability people with with children, I just don't know how they're making it.
0: Wow, Bo, you know, if anybody who's listening had doubted that the political and medical and legal systems don't collude against patients that have been harmed by the medical system. I don't know how you can deny it. I mean, I hear these stories all the time, um, but your story really links all three of those systems. And then you also veer off into the sort of the disability system and how it's set up to, to not help you, but to make it more difficult to actually access what you deserve.
1: And that's the surprise of it, right? I mean, I understand, you know, capitalist economy would say, you know, look, we love our socialists because they have all these really great ideas, but as capitalists, we have to figure out a way to pay for this, (laughs) right? At the end of the day though, there should be a certain level of humanity that's given to everyone. I don't see that happening. I see it getting worse. or corporations are going to operate in unethical ways, then we need to really take a hard look at what a we can do about that, and b are we going to just be okay with that and be complicit and compliant? You know, there's a lot of a lot of things that we can do that we don't do because this has been going on for so long. I mean, I've, I've talked to people. I've been working on this medical error stuff for 20 plus years. You know, and And it's disheartening because you would think that after a certain amount of time, there had been a measurable amount of progress. But instead, I just see things getting worse, you know, and to the point where, you know, you're supposed to have a right to trial, right? That's one of your constitutional rights as being an American citizen. I just explained my story on how I couldn't even get there, you know, like, how are those things, how does that happen? And so those are the big things that we have to figure out in addition to all this climate crisis and and all the other problems of the world. But I would encourage listeners, you know, I say it to everyone. um, I I have two mantras. One is smile. Simply maintain integrity and limit your excuses, right? Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Don't lose your composure when you're dealing with idiots. You know, don't lower yourself to their level. Just always always keep your your head on straight. And the other one uh, is life is a journey, right? If we can help one another, there's, there's something that happens in a a religious atmosphere where you have the people that are in need and the people that like to help. For whatever reason, it becomes sometimes a really great experience. You know, you can see the people enjoying helping and you can see the people that really need the help. And how much they grow or, or can, you know, be helped as a result of that. And it's a, it's a very healthy thing for a lot of, a lot of them. We need to, to start doing that more individually, in my opinion. You know, we need to, you know, people need to pat you on the back. Because when you do those kinds of things, you pat yourself on the back. You just know who you are. You're not playing a role for anybody. It's just who you are. My hope to everyone, if, if I can share this out, is help help your neighbor. You don't need to go crazy. Just do the little things. Do what you can to make a difference in someone else's life, at least on a semi-regular basis, you know? Whether that's your Nana at home, whether that's little Johnny down the block who, you know, you can tell his dad's not around, whatever. You know what I mean? Just Just be that person because we're all in this together. And if we can all just fill in government's not designed to be all of this for us, you know, um, and some of this, we just have to lead by example.
0: Well, that's words of wisdom. Some, from somebody who's been down a well beaten path. So what's next for you moving forward in terms of both treatment and advocacy? Uh, well,
1: treatment I for myself
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so I've been in therapy one to two times a week for like the last two years I definitely am not done um, I need to to figure out how to put this behind me which has been very difficult because <clears throat> you can't just stop lawsuits you have to play them through you know and, and so some of those I can't move past until it, it's finally over. Um, but some of it I haven't, you know, I have to accept that, you know, there's nothing that I can do for the medical malpractice stuff. And I somehow have to learn to accept those things, which I, I still haven't. But I started a podcast. I, I have started sharing parts of me through my interviews with other people never having done an interview like this with anyone but that was a healing step for me and i i continue to try to put myself into areas that i can you know i can heal from you know and uh, make a difference let's say you know both of us um, in the podcast were great uh, we, we had raised an awareness to a certain extent But it isn't for, like, a recognition or anything. At the end of the day, if you can make a difference in the system by what you're doing, right, but even if it doesn't, the contact and the experiences that you made trying and getting there has also been rewarding in itself. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. You know, I might not ever get to my final destination of making this change for, for America or for the world, or this awareness isn't going to be strong enough to, to make that happen, I, I don't know, you know, but at the same time, the people that needed a voice that didn't have one, you know, the people that can now realize, oh my god, I'm not crazy, I thought I was going nuts for the longest time going through this, because I thought this doesn't happen, you know, why, how would, why, why would someone do this, you know, like, I, I didn't get it, so for me i uh I hope to continue to to help others share their voice i hope that it continues to help me heal within my own right i hope that as we tie these different pieces together it makes a better understanding from the, from the person outside looking in i think we have a lot of issues which is probably a different podcast but there's a lot that needs to change, uh, but there's simple things that we can do. And, and everybody at the end of the day is a human and everybody needs a doctor. And God forbid, you know, an error happens. Let's make this something that doesn't continually injure them but we can start to, to work on making an awareness so that we can learn from it, first of all. We won't create that error again because we know now what happened rather than shoving it underneath the rug. Uh, and the other one is when you validate your patients. It's different than when you don't validate them, and you try to dismiss them, or you call them crazy, or you try to pull these tactics that they use. It creates a secondary and a third injury in it. It's already chaotic and confusing, or confusing if you have a brain injury. You start. Pulling out all these other stuff, and all of a sudden, I'm, you know, my head just blew up. Our disability people need someone to advocate for them because they can't do it themselves. There's a certain percentage of us that is not cognitively capable, whether that's because we had a brain injury or we just were born a certain way. There's certain people that need help, and there's definitely a portion of the population that is not being represented because they have no one. Disability people are one of those, which is really a surprising shock to me because you see so much on disability. You think there'd be all these resources.
0: Yeah, not so much. Yeah, there's a difference between marketing of a a concept and actually delivering of it. Uh, It occurs to me that uh, your perspective on this advocacy journey you're on, it sounds like you're not putting all of your marbles in the bag of the system will change. You're right. taking that there's appreciation and the value in the process of working toward that.
1: Absolutely, I am. Um, <laughs> it's more than wishful thinking to think that it will change. Um, it's going to take many, many, many voices. I name I mean my podcast "Digital Voices" because you start out and you're screaming as one person, right? But you put a stadium of people screaming, man, it's hard to ignore that, you know? And and that's what these interviews are. Each one of us is a, is a yell, right? Like each one of us is, is a voice that collectively becomes louder and louder and more. People can share their stories and, and raise awareness the stuff's been going on for so long and a lot of it has to do with just corporate greed and the class separation or the, the separation of classes is growing more divided every day. You see it everywhere you look, you know, there's the class disparity at least here in the U.S. Disabled people that have worked their whole lives, you know, 20 plus years until they got an accident and then they only get 840 to live off of <laughs> 80, 80 plus percent of what an american makes is gone for to a tax of some sort sometimes i want to i want to sneak over the border and come up to the
0: canadian side <laughs> Well, that disparity between the rich and the poor, which has been growing for decades, has really accelerated since the pandemic started. When they started to print all that money, the majority of went to their rich corporate friends and drove up the stock prices of those top 10. Um, Yeah, so I I think you're absolutely right. We're just going to see a greater divide between the haves and the have-nots, between the protected class and everybody else. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned your podcast. Where can folks find your podcast and tell me the name of it again, and where can they connect with you on social media?
1: So I have a Facebook page, um, and then I'm on Discord, but my podcast is called Digital Voices with Bo Tiffany, and we explore everything from uh, injured patients, medical errors, medical malpractice, uh, to less deep, Conversations like we, we've talked to artists and and we've talked to um, motivational speakers and, and just trying to round it out. I think everybody has a story, and the the catch for for digital voices is everyone has a story. We just give you a platform to share yours. And um, I like to think of myself a little bit as kind of like an investigative guy. I try to like everybody probably knows that you're a therapist and that you uh, really have made an a mission to try to share the stories of the victims that you've met so far and, and others uh, regarding medical errors. But I bet you half of them didn't know that you grew up on a farm, um, you know, and how you got to be where you're at. And I find those stories of the things that shape us really the interesting part of, of telling that. Story for me, because each one of us has been shaped by something, and if you're, you know, some of us have a position where we're like, God, how did you get <laughs> You know what I mean? And so we, we talk about it. So that's yeah, that's not. You find me on, uh, like I said, Facebook or Discord. Uh, my podcast circulation is through all the major ones, including YouTube, Spotify. Apple, iHeartRadio, Digital Voices with uh, Bo Tiffany.
0: And I was a guest on Bo's podcast very recently, so I encourage folks to give Bo a listen to. And thank you, Bo, for taking the time and the energy and the emotional energy to share your story. But mostly, thank you for doing your own podcast and getting our stories out there. Like you say, they are very valuable. When we stack them all together, our voices together. Yeah. That's when we get louder and maybe we can have an impact then and change this system. So it's more equitable. Well, thanks to Bo Tiffany for sharing his experiences with the medical system, legal, political and insurance systems, and it really shows us how those separate systems often work together to hold back justice and proper health care for patients. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be kind to yourself, be kind to others. If you'd like to support the podcast, You can subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcast platforms. You can also support the podcast by becoming a monthly patron. Premium patrons get access to video versions of the podcast interviews. Simply go to patreon.com slash medicalerrorinterviews to become a monthly patron of the podcast. And if you need the support of an experienced counselor for your own encounters with medical error and or living with complex chronic illnesses, then you can book an online video counseling appointment with me through my website at remediescounseling.com.